once that mindset is open with the monthly income coming in and the tax savings, it's a whole world that opens up for people. And that's what I view kind of my mission for the rest of my life. Are you ready to change your life? Welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies Podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments and Berkwood Capital. Your hosts, Linda Brooks and Lisa Hill, are two dynamic multifamily investor syndicators who combined have more than 400 doors in their portfolio and growing. Join them on their journey as they show you it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing. And they'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. And now, here are your hosts, Linda and Lisa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic edition of the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast. I'm Linda Brooks, your co-host. And I'm Lisa Hill, your other co-host. So glad you tuned in today. Linda and I, by the way, are a couple of multifamily apartment investor syndicators who got started in this business rather later in life. But our goal is to show you it's never too late to start investing in multifamily real estate as a passive investor. Just to remind you, multifamily is defined as a building with five or more units. And Lisa and I, knowing that five or more units is definitely multifamily, we definitely appreciate that. But we look for bigger properties, more in the hundred plus units. So what's the difference between going after a five unit building or I don't even a 500 unit building? Nothing except your mindset. And that's what today's episode is about your wealth mindset. Our guest today, she is a legacy cash flow specialist, capital raiser, syndicator, real estate investor, and the CEO of Urbay Wealth. She recently retired and sold her insurance agency of 16 years by following the key principles she now teaches professionals to use. Welcome, Stephanie Walter. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on a woman's podcast. That's right. First one I've been on. Hey, well, we're so glad you chose us to join. And we're so glad we were able to uh, find you and you agreed to do it. And Linda found you or you found us. I'm not sure how it goes, but that's how it is. We have to reach out and support each other because there's not many of us in this business, but we need to be more in here. That's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, you've been working with... I guess hundreds, maybe even thousands of investors of different means, different experience levels over the years. And one major aha moment you came across is realizing that the very wealthy view and use money differently than the rest of us. Can you give us some insight here? Yeah, for sure. When I work with accredited investors, those are just people that have a net worth of over a million dollars, which is required when we're raising money. I notice, you know, you look through people's financial statements and there seemed to be a theme that went along with that, which was very few of the very wealthy have 401ks. Virtually none of them have 401ks. They are largely invested in businesses. They're largely vested in real estate. And then when I dug down like a little bit deeper as to why is that was the more interesting part is that they view money as is this money working for me now? And what is it doing? That was sort of the aha moment for me about three years ago. 
And uh, I changed my mindset about money at that time. And it allowed me to redistribute some of my money into different places, which has allowed me then to sell my business and retire. So it's pretty powerful. So would you say the wealthy view money as a right, whereas perhaps most others view it as a privilege? I think the wealthy view it, I think the difference is they view it as a tool. I think a lot of regular people view the money as they don't even want to touch it. They just want it to sit either in equity in their rental properties or they want to sit, have it sit in a 401k because they believe these wealth managers know more than they do. So they take a very hands-off approach to the money, almost like they're afraid of it. Whereas the wealthy, they don't revere the money, I think is the best word to use. And they know that money is for them and needs to be working for them and their goals. And I think that hands-on approach is what I've noticed is the difference in the mindset. I love that because what you're saying is, well, a lot of us unwealthy or non-wealthy folks think, well, I don't want to put my precious money. What if the business fails and then I'll lose all my money? Or I don't know about that business. I don't know about this. So I'm not going to put my money there, but something safe is a 401k or an IRA, but it doesn't make as much money. We had a guest on who talked about how, yeah, you can put it in the 401k and you know, 20 years from now, you'll not be rich. You'll be old, Mm -hmm. but you won't be rich, you know? So how the mindset is what you're talking about. It's like, how do we determine the businesses to put our money in so that it does work for us. Mm -hmm. And I think the largest, you know, just by looking at where people have their money, the wealthy and kind of copying what they do is largely without a doubt, it's in real estate. And then if you can just wrap your mind around the syndication, which really is just a larger single family home where you have more professional people running it. So you're not contacted about, you know, the tenants and the toilets and all that good stuff. And you get a a monthly check that's sent to you every month. And essentially it is like investing in a business. There's a business plan that you present to your investors uh, that tells you how long we want to hold the money what we want to do with the property, what you should be expecting as far as reports from us, as far as money given to you will be given on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis. And then there's an exit strategy. So it really is like investing in a business. But the biggest thing that leads to freedom, I'm a thousand percent convinced of this, is cash flow. And if you have that passive cash flow, you have the choices. Do I want to work my nine to five job? The thing about the 401k is yes, it'll be there, but a huge thing that people don't think about and a big reason why I love this time of year is the tax ramifications of investing. As a capital raiser, I don't really get into that a whole lot with my investors, but this time of year when they get their K-1s and they see the depreciation that has occurred over the year and they're like, I'm going to pay 30 to 50 
thousand dollars less this year in taxes wow awesome thank you but that's the second part of what a wealthy person looks at not only money coming in but how to minimize the taxes going out because that's the dirty little secret of the 401k is at the end of it we don't know you have five hundred thousand in there do you really have 500000 Because mm-hmm. in 20 years, what's the tax rate going to be? And when that money starts getting taken out, how much do you really have? You may have half of that. You may have less than half of that. But a wealthy person is not going to be okay with that uncertainty. Wow, that is so true. I recognize that, you know, staying on the 401k topic for a second, Most of that put your money in a 401k or retirement plan thinking and practice is generational, right? We may have had parents that had the same job or worked for the same company for 30 or 40 years, built up a retirement plan. And that's what they generally teach their children, whether through conversation or behavior, right? So how would you recommend we begin having those different conversations to change that thinking generationally? I think to just be open to a different way of looking at things. I think another huge thing that the wealthy do differently, and I've made that change in my own life, and I recognize it now when I see it, when I don't see it in other people, is to have an abundance mindset. I know that sounds weird, (laughs) new agey. I'm the furthest thing from that. But you have to believe that there isn't a finite amount of money. There's a lot of money and it's always flowing. I have that image in my head that money is always flowing. And you can invest, you know, there's so many different options of what you can do with your money. And you can't just be locked into this idea of the 401k, which is really, it's new. The 401k actually hasn't been around that long. And uh, the person that created, if you do any research on him, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but he's like interviewed now and he's like, I had no intention of this being everybody's main source of retirement when you know and so it's important to trust yourself for one you're not as you know wealthy are not you know they're not any different than you to be honest with you you are a lot smarter than you think you are about money you just have to find the right team someone who has a good track record someone that can show you that Uh, what they promised they've been able to deliver and try it. Try it out. That's what I tell people. Usually minimum investment is $100,000 and people are like, oh. So I'm like, give us 50 just for the first deal and see how that goes for you. And I guarantee you, you will want to invest everything after going through one of these deals with us. Because once that mindset is open with the monthly income coming in and the tax savings, it's a whole world that opens up for people. And that's what I view kind of my mission for the rest of my life is to you know, talk to a lot of people and teach them to look at money differently. Excellent. I love the abundance mindset. Thank you. You mentioned the uh, tax incentives, et cetera, but not to mention also when the property is sold, there's benefits to that also. There's another to your investors and when the property gets sold. So that's another income producing 
methodology, I guess, or step to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that what you just mentioned about how, you know what, the wealthy are not necessarily any smarter than we are. What mm-hmm. are some other myths that you can debunk for us? Do you have any a couple of others? I think the biggest, the ones that I have focused most on is the 401k, because that's the big one. Believing that money is finite. That's another big one. Myths of that wealthy people work alone, that they're just behind this big, you know, Oz-like, Wizard of Oz-like sheet controlling all of the levers and stuff like that. The truth is they do exactly what I said for your audience to do, which is research your team, see what their business plan is, see what they've done in the past. They put the money in and then their hands off. They know that they've hired the best professionals to do that work and they've made that decision and now they'll just sit back and let the professionals do their work for them. They're not doing all of the work. They simply do the research to find the best people and the best vehicle to have their money in. So I think that's a big part of it too, or a big myth anyways. I can't think of any others that are coming right up. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good stuff. (laughs) Completely agree. I actually just finished reading a book, uh, Who Not How, where they talk about exactly that, where it's not about how you do the work to get it done, but finding the who's the other people, your team that can do the work and push the goal and the mission forward to your point. And then you give the, you empower your team to drive on and you're not as the, you know, the business person or the visionary, you're not the person that's doing all the work. So that just co-signs everything that I believe in. Yeah. (laughs) And I was actually years ago, my background was in insurance and 16 years I owned my business and towards the beginning of that, they really encouraged us to get our series six license, which meant that then we would manage people's money. And I'm just speaking from someone who did that. For some reason, we have this huge reverence for these financial planners. But the truth is, all we're doing is following a formula. And where if you asked me, what is my money going to do? Is it going to, you know, is there going to be that big crash that happened in 07, 08, 09? I couldn't have told you. I didn't know that that was coming. No one knows any of those things. So I think to kind of, you know, not discourage that profession necessarily, but just maybe to lose some of the reverence that you have for it and trust yourself more and look at what your money is doing for you. So even I have people that have money that are in rental properties and that's where a lot of my equity was actually. And you just look at what kind of return are you getting on that money. A lot of people don't even think about that. Are you getting any kind of a return on that? Maybe a hundred or two hundred dollars cash flow. Well, if you took that money and put it into a syndication or several syndications, what's the difference in the cash flow? Those are things that you need to start asking yourself. And uh, because your financial planner is not going to bring these types of vehicles up for you for the very simple reason that they don't make a dime off of them. Exactly. Um, yeah. Nice tip. That is true. What's the one thing someone brand new 
can do to expand their wealth? I think to be very proactive in your money and not have other people managing it. I think knowing what your money is doing, it's pretty simple. You know, is your money giving you any kind of a return? I think that's the first place you want to start. And also, is it somewhat liquid? Is it, or is it going to be tied up for the next 30 years? I think that's a real deterrent to have your money tied up. In these syndications, they can be tied up for maybe three to five years and then you move on to the next opportunity. Yeah. So what is the one thing that an experienced passive investor can do to take it to the next level? (laughs) Oh, wow. I mean, I think diversify. I think uh, because it's funny, I have a, I just changed accountants after 16 years. And so we're still kind of getting to know each other and he's getting to know me and (laughs) my situation. And he's like, stuff. Why don't you take some of that money and put it back into the stock market so you can be more diversified? I said, no, Matt, I am diversified. I'm diversified because I've invested in a multifamily, retail, development. I have some in oil. So I think that once you begin to be a passive investor, understand, you know, the teams you're working with and those reports that are given to you and uh, the performances, then it opens up a whole nother world of, which I really hate this term, but this is the term that's used now is it's called alternative investments. I don't like that term. <laughs> no, it, so, but it does. It opens up this whole world of these types of investments that are syndications. They're just invested in different types of asset classes. So I would say the person that is more experienced, we should look at those different asset classes. Right now, actually, development, a lot of people are finding that there's such a shortage of single-family homes right now, which is just insane, but it is true. It's crazy how there's a shortage of it. So just to be you know, aware of what's going on in your world and what makes sense at any particular time. But, you know, I believe in the multifamily model is your solid go to what you should invest in. But I think that opening yourself up to other asset classes as you get more experienced is good, too. Good tips. I'm going to ask you this question. We can certainly delete it if you're not comfortable answering, but I ask almost every guest we have. We have a new administration in the White House and the stock market took a little dip yesterday because of news that uh, the president might be cutting into taxes for the wealthy in order to pay for his programs. Are you hearing hesitancy from your investors at all? I know this is relatively new news. I've heard it. But I think we all knew, you know, the direction of the new administration was going to be probably higher taxes. I haven't really seen hesitancy from my investors. I think that they're just kind of waiting and wondering what to do, but they are actually really curious about real estate, a lot more curious than they've been in the past couple years because they're just looking at things outside of the stock market because I think a lot of people think there's going to be a crash. I, I don't know that there will be or there won't be. But I know that he's mentioning something about capital gains. I think that someone gave me a good piece of advice is that you just invest 
as the tax law is right now. And then if it happens to change, then you'll deal with that in the future. Make adjustments. Yeah. Good tip. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great tip. So as we begin to wrap up, what is the one piece of advice, even though you've given a wealth of it during this entire conversation, but what is the one piece of advice or or information or tip that you'd want to leave for our listeners? I think, you know, one, I love that you guys said that it's never too late. I mean, I started changing my career and I'll tell you, I'm going to turn 50 this year. And my mindset with money changed gradually, but significantly changed about three years ago. And by implementing those strategies, I'm now able to, well, retire. I do this because I love to do it. But and that's a great feeling, honestly, to be able to do something that you love every day. But I think that it's never too late to re-examine your finances at this stage in your life, like a lot of women in our age group, you probably do have some, you know, you have some significant wealth of probably put into different places. Re-examine that. Look at, can that money be working for you better? And it's never too late. And like I just said, three years ago, I implemented these strategies and it significantly changed my cash flow and my life. So it's never too late to do it. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Stephanie. You've left us to be, use a pun, you've left us a wealth of information. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've inspired a lot of future and current passive investors. I learned a lot. I know Linda learned a bit too. So where can our listeners learn more from you, get in touch with you? Yeah, great. Oh, just visit my website, which is it's www.erbewealth.com. Erbe is a nod to my father. He passed away actually uh, about 15 years ago, but yeah, I've learned everything. A lot of what I've learned was from him. And Erbe is a German word for legacy, which I believe that everybody can have their own legacy for their family, for themselves, for everyone. So that's my thing is legacy. And there is actually a report you can download for free that talks about why passive investing could be for you. Perfect. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. It was indeed a pleasure having you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to download it and give us a five-star review. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Thanks a mil for listening, everybody. For more information about today's episode, learn more about passive multifamily real estate investing or to reach Linda or Lisa directly, visit us on the web at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. Thanks a mill for joining the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast, sponsored by Berkwood Capital and Freedom Capital Investments. Your hosts, Lisa Hill and Linda Brooks, remind you it's never too late to get started on your multifamily real estate investing journey. And they'll show how to do it successfully as a passive investor. We'll see you next time.